Hi, it's Zara. Let's take a mindful moment together. Do you ever feel like you're scrolling away trying to avoid the fear of being alone with your thoughts? And you're just aimlessly scrolling on Instagram or my drug of choice TikTok? Try this when your thoughts become overwhelming. Let's pretend to take the thoughts out. Remove them like you'd remove headphones or AirPods. Set them aside. Listen to them get quieter. They might still be there and that's okay. You are not your thoughts and the thoughts don't have to go away for you to feel okay. Let me know if this helps on therapyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode, we have Mooded Verma. We met back in college in 2012 through a student-led organization called Active Minds at Maryland. We both became mental health advocates and Mooded is now a rising comedian in the DMV area. So you should check out some of his shows. This is Therapy Hour Podcast. Welcome to episode six. Hi, Mooded. This is Steven. Steven, this is Mooded. We met in college. Mooded, I've known you for several years now. I think we graduated together. You graduated 2013 as well, right? 14. 14 for me. Okay, you're right behind me. (laughs) Um, Cool. So we met at, we met in University of Maryland at College Park. We met during Active Minds, right? Yes. Cool. You want to tell us a little bit about how we met in that program? Yeah, definitely. So I think it was my first Active Minds meeting. It was my sophomore year, uh, early that fall. It was the first meeting. And I I really uh, found it fulfilling, like mental health advocacy. It was my first experience really whatsoever in the mental health advocacy space. I was very excited because a semester prior Uh, The latter semester of my freshman year, I declared my major, which was psychology. And other than the courses, like in the psych major, I I didn't have like any experience or exposure or any understanding or framework of like how to advocate for mental health, how to understand the landscape of professional resources, how to access them, how to connect with like the student body and community members. And so, yeah, I found Active Minds to be super fulfilling. You know, that's a, that's similar to what happened to me. Like I realized that there was a much need. I was a criminal justice major. I found active minds by just walking in like one of those um, campus wide, like fairs. I don't remember right. what they called them. And I, someone was like, oh, we're just mental health advocates. I'm like, what does that mean? And I didn't know until so I joined what does that mean? until I joined the group. So a lot of what Active Minds at Maryland, so Active Minds is a um, organization that is nationwide and it's a student run organization on campuses across the nation. And basically there are a bunch of mental health advocates who are trying to reduce the stigma of mental illness, increase um, resources for students. And like one of our biggest jobs or one of my biggest like successes was to create that like map that we created. I don't know if you remember Mudith, but it had like all of the resources on and we just passed them around and we're like, you just need to know how to get help if you ever need help. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I also- that answer your question? Sort of. So you guys just, yeah, you guys just answered questions. Yeah, Yeah, we answered questions. (laughs) And there are are a fair number of like outreach events. I, I think that was like, I think as like a sophomore, I, I struggled personally to kind of like get to know the campus since it was so big and um, vast. So I think the outreach events and volunteer events like in the community, um, it gave me a way to meet like-minded students and just know the, I guess, the infrastructure and the layout of, of College Park and the surrounding area. So, so that was cool. Yeah, it's a huge campus. Are you from Maryland? Yes. Uh, okay, cool. Clarksburg. It's like um, Montgomery County. So. Oh, fun. Yeah. I'm from Frederick. So just right north. North. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite things about Active Minds was that when we did the stress-free carnival in my senior year. So I guess it might have been your junior year. It was 2013. Mm-hmm. And we had dogs from the shelter come. We had Rita's ice cream right. or ice, I guess. It was a lot of fun. Those are like the good old days. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. 
So Stephen, we tried really hard to like destigmatize mental illness and really like my personal goal was to like inform students where the resources were. One of the biggest things that Active Mind says is not all of us have mental illnesses, but we all have mental health and it's time for us to take care of that. And it kind okay. of inspired this whole podcast. Oh, wow. They're to blame. Yeah, they are the villain. <laughs> It was cool. So I understand that you went to pharmacy school after. I did. Yes. And I, uh, it was a very turbulent time. And um, I think since, since we're talking about mental health, uh, I might as well maybe like dive into the aspects of pharmacy school that pertained to mental health. Um, It was very stressful. And what was interesting was that during my time in college, like with active minds, I, I, for some reason, couldn't find it in me to like seek professional help during college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess long story short, pharmacy school became so overwhelming that, um, you know, that experience prompted me to seek help uh, during, you know, halfway through pharmacy school. And uh, yeah, I sort of, I don't know, thought back to some of the, the, like life lessons and kind of wisdom pearls and things that we kind of talked about in active minds and just maybe like propelling me forward to like make an appointment um, and like go through with seeking professional help. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> May I ask what prevented you to do that in college? If you yeah. knew where all the resources were. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was a couple, there are like multiple factors. I think so in no particular order, one, like my time management just wasn't maybe finessed. It, it wasn't where it needed to be in general, just maybe like keeping a calendar. Uh, and so that has implications on, I guess, just making a phone call and, and, and like securing an appointment. Um, but the thing is, I, I even like make the first phone call. I think like uh, I put too much um how do I say this? I, for some reason, I wanted to time the first time right, even though there is no like right first time. It's like, you know, you seek help when, when you need it or, uh, or when you have an, an inkling even of just like um, uh, checking your mental health. Um, and so it was, I don't know, I had this sort of like self stigma kind of bubble or, or web just accumulating over time and um it just like it just never occurred and i think like i think another thing was that so so actually i uh i kind of regret pharmacy school despite having graduated (laughs) yeah and uh and 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 i say everyone regrets grad school everyone (laughs) regrets it no one is like appreciative that they went they're like this was a waste of money right and in retrospect, I was afraid to come to terms, I think, with that regret or have revelations that are similar to that regret during undergrad because I was so scared of, I guess, talking this to, to a professional to eventually unveil the truth that, like, I'm not really on a congruent path, like, with myself. Uh, so... I don't know. It was, I, I think it was a common, the reason I, I don't, the reason I did not seek the reasons I didn't seek professional help in a uh, college, I think were a combination of um, uh, a lack of like time management skills, a general fear that I think by seeking help, I would unveil a truth that would kind of have my um, plans crumble in terms of like mm-hmm. after graduation and stuff. Um, and uh, this weird, like, I was getting like calloused, like, I don't know why I wanted to time my first appointment, like make it something like super sacred. I don't know, like, uh, but, but uh, getting bogged down with exams and whatnot, it just, uh, yeah, was, I'm still, I think to this day, I'm still trying to understand like why it took me so long, uh, to kind of seek help. So. Well, they always say that the first start, the, the first step is the hardest, right. And mm-hmm. showing up is the most difficult part. So I think that we need to validate when we do show up and like really, emphasize that as like a success story right not necessarily like hey why didn't you do it in college you could have been better for a lot (laughs) longer but 
I think that comes with it. I, I started seeking help in college and I was like kind of forced into it. And it was crazy because I knew where all the resources were. I knew all the numbers or had access to them. And yet I was still like in a, in a way like suffering through like this, like crippling anxiety that I had. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really tough. I think college was, I think college is where I grew the most, but grad school is where I like became who I am. Gotcha. But that was moving to Chicago. So that had a lot of other implications too. Gotcha. And what are these resources you guys keep talking about? Just like therapists on campus? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly it. They had a helpline, a peer helpline. So they had someone, like you could call this um, phone number. Um, and then it would be another student that will like talk to you through whatever it was. They had psychologists, they had therapists, they had psychiatrists um, all over campuses. And then they had their own like little groups. And then we had Active Minds, which was like our organization. Okay. Right. And do a lot of people follow through with these resources? Or is the so, mind just empty all day? Which, wait, say that again. Like, do they follow through like with making appointments? Yeah. I, I can't imagine many college students would, do they? They, there were so many appointments that there was a three to four month wait list, which is a whole semester. So I actually got interviewed by the Diamondback, which is our school newspaper about the wait list on, on campus. So kids are kids or youth or college students are young adults is what we'll call them are trying to seek help. And then they're being told that they're going to be waiting and then they're experiencing suicidal ideations and depression and are struggling in school, yet they're told that they can have help, but they have to wait. Um, so one of the things Active Minds did towards the end of my um, college career was that they helped the SGA lock in money to hire more therapists and hire another psychiatrist so that the wait list will go down so that kids can actually get help. And again, I'm sorry, I call them kids, but young adults. Yeah, I just remember that time I was a child then, you know? Yeah. Also, I think that that like vicariously kind of listening to the experiences of sticking out that several month waiting period, um, Mm -hmm. I think in college uh, discouraged me to take initiative on, you know, even making that first phone call because um, what, for one thing in undergrad, I like hyper prioritized exams, like to an extent where like, it wasn't even healthy. Like, like I, I don't know how to like one of the frame of minds that like I came into college with, uh, um, so my parents, they're, they're both like PhD trained scientists, uh, but they both wanted to go to medical school in India, but like they, they couldn't. Uh, and so that had very strong implications on kind of my upbringing and their expectations of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so it's like the, the, the pre-med culture was very like, um, they're very callous. They're very tough. They're very stoic. Um, and I couldn't handle it. So I, I sort of like uh, stepped down to like pre-pharmacy. And uh, I think like it was, I, I was, I, I, I knew a couple of students that were maybe on the receiving end of, of like the trained um, recipients of like the, the phone calls and, and whatnot. And I don't know, I just didn't feel justified at the time. Uh, or worthy of like uh, reaching out um, because as as we had like those meetings every, every week at least I think for um, active minds like uh, there you know there was so there was so much like waiting time uh, for for people that made um, initial appointments and I found that to be discouraging, discouraging. yeah. yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy that people are like trying to get help. I'm my, I have a 16 year old sister. She's going to hate that. I talk about her on this podcast all the time. Yeah, are you allowed to? I don't know, but like she's, violation. well, she's not my client. She's just my sister. Oh, that's true. Loophole. You got her. Loophole. <laughs> she, she has been looking for a therapist and it's been, it's been horrific trying to find her one to the point where she's like, I don't even want help anymore. And then it's like a back and forth. It's like, Oh, I need help so bad. Oh, whatever. I don't care. You know? And so it just, it's a brutal cycle. And I think it's like all over, especially now with COVID like getting services. is just, it's, it's very difficult. I wish my kids, 
I don't have any engaged clients. So I wish all my youth would come to me, but you know, that's a whole nother story. I also think that uh, like the, the network that we were able to get plugged into through active minds, like because there was such a saturation, you know, and, and like long wait time for professional resources, the active minds network was like the next best thing before like professional help since it was just so spread thin. Um, that was like the next best thing, I think, for my students that were maybe struggling, um, sort of have that support group uh, in place, I guess, until we could see, uh, you know, professional resources. Until we were ready to, to make, to take that step. I think that's a really good point. Um, because being a mental health advocate, like you're learning and you're educating yourself and you're, you have to, you're almost forced into learning these skills that people are teaching you. And so it's like really preparing you to go into that therapeutic setting. Are you, um, may I ask, are you a pharmacist now? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I graduated, I have the degree and I, but I did not take my board exams after graduation. Uh, that's the exam you take. Those are the, there are a couple exams you take to like get fully licensed in order to actually practice, say in a retail setting or a, a hospital setting. Um, I, I didn't go, I didn't take those exams because I uh, did not, I, like halfway through pharmacy school, I, you know, I, I regretted the entire thing. And then when, when that happens, like, and, and you're in a situation where you kind of have to stay and that like, for me, that's usually like, or for me, that, that was like, uh, just, you know, having, having a family that really wanted me to finish and, and see what we can like work with and see if there's a non-traditional, I don't know, career I could take on. Uh, so I worked, I worked like a nine to five kind of office, like research job for a clinical uh, trials group in, in, uh, in Rockville. And, and, um, and that, like, I guess that structure was much more tolerable, if you will, than, than maybe like, um, I guess the stress you, you uh, one would face in like a retail setting. Um, and, uh, I think the intellectual demands of a hospital setting were, were also just like too much for me. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't feel, yeah, I, I, I like, so I, I, I think I, I'm technically the, uh, a pharmacist, but maybe not like a licensed uh, pharmacist, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. fun pharmacist. What's that? Like under the table pharmacy. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like Walter White. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I will know, but. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, have, uh, I have a few bits that entertain that idea, but yeah. <laughs> Um, can we, well, with that being said, can we go and talk about comedy? Do I have some bits. more questions about do the bits. <laughs> do the bits. Um, when I, did uh, you start your comedy career? Yeah, I started my, this actually, this question actually works out very nicely with the timeline because I, so I graduated pharmacy school in spring of 2018. I worked my first research job for a year. Uh, so, and, and I quit that job after the company got acquired and moved to Florida um, literally a year later. So like, uh, June of 2019. And then I hit my first open mic, uh, late July of that, you know, of that same summer of, of 2019. And, um, the, it was so, so comedy, like that first open mic was, was also timed, I guess, strategically in the sense that I didn't want to try my first open mic, um, either during the latter years of pharmacy school or during my first job. Cause I was very scared that if I, bombed or um or something happened uh that i wouldn't be able to function or focus that you know the following day uh, at school or at work uh so, mm -hmm. so I, I i like uh i feel like there's like this analogous parallel to like my first open mic uh to, to like my first um visit to like the counseling center in pharmacy school like i wanted that first time to be like super i wouldn't say special but like uninterrupted i guess like uh oh wow uh, like in terms of, uh, I don't know, day-to-day -day commitments and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so that was my first open mic. And what prompted me to really, I don't know, take that step was that uh, I have a comedian friend that um, was doing, he's, he, was in, he was doing comedy for a couple of years and he surprised our friend group. Um, I was in like my third year of pharmacy school. He surprised our friend group that he does comedy. So he invited us to his shows 
um, and he started hosting open mics. And then uh, he would like tease us, be like, hey, like hop on this open mic. Uh, and we'd be scared and be like, no. Um, and now I realize in retrospect, like the comedians that were there, like the seasoned comics, like I guess they're happy so they can like get on stage to do their time and go home. But uh, uh, and uh, yeah, essentially, like it was on my bucket list, if you will, that first open mic. Um, and it was lingering there until until I quit my first job and had like the liberated mental bandwidth to just to just dive in and um and so i don't know it, it went pretty well but i was i was lucky and and i guess privileged in the sense that uh my first open mic was at that friend uh that I, i've known this particular friend for like over a decade um and he was in 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 the dmv comedy scene for like a number of years uh, his name's camillo diaz um but he he has like several names on facebook i don't know and uh and uh um so so like he, he was hosting that mic he, he gave me a really good spot um, we just came from like a wedding from like, uh, uh, like our, our friend circle. Uh, and so there was like audience there, like that, that was like there for me in my first open mic. Um, and essentially like, yeah, that set the stage. Uh, the first mic went well, the second mic went well, I bombed like the next 10 open mics. Uh, but then like, that was, I, you know, I started grinding, uh, you know, as, as comics do. And, uh, yeah, so now it's been, um, I guess a little over a year, including the pandemic. And, uh, uh, I'm still in between full-time jobs. I, I, I do a little freelance writing and uh, I volunteer part-time for a, uh, South Asian mental health advocacy group. And, um, but other, I mean, other than that, it's, you know, just grinding with comedy and content creation. So, yeah. So when you, when that first mic went well, was there like a sense of relief because of all that fear that you were carrying to to do it yes uh there was a there was a sense of relief there was a um yeah i th i think a lot of it was also there was a sense of relief but i was also feeling a sense of relief just having quit my first uh, my my first job and like the fact that like i didn't take any like I, I didn't take like a year off or a substantial amount of time off in between college and pharmacy school so um, it was there was a sense of relief and it was it was very like pronounced and it was very like holistic, if you will. And uh, um, but but I, I also think because I had that level of existential relief, it kind of like doing that first open mic became that much less stressful where I could kind of um, tinker with it, I guess. And I say that because I was like um, thinking about like maybe trying music or, or uh, uh, yeah, like music. And I think I was so I had this like very strong emotional attachment to music where like I would be even with that sense of relief. I was like too afraid to give it a shot. But with comedy, there was there was like this healthy level of of distance, emotional distance. But it wasn't so distant where it's like I'm not interested in it. But uh, there was like this where I could experiment a little bit and, and uh -huh. that contributed to my like comfort. So yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's interesting. Cause like, were you keeping it a distance because you were like, I'm not sure if this is like what I want to do or were you keeping it a distance is because, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to be good at it. And I don't want to be told that I'm failing. I, I would say for comedy, it's the, it's the first where like, I wasn't entirely sure this is what I want to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that like liberated me because uh, I, I, I knew that by watching my friends shows and mics, I, I, I'm really thankful I did that, like just watching the show because I, I was very quickly able to, to learn that bombing is a big part of the process. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Steven, do you remember your first open mic? Um, sort of. Yeah, I think I think I did pretty well. I think that's like pretty common where people like the first time they like, maybe because they're so wrapped up on adrenaline, they do pretty well. And then, uh, yeah, I definitely bombed like the next 15, 20 times. Right. Yeah. I think that's sort of, Same. yeah. Do you, do you go to like, what's open mics look like, looking like with COVID? I, I've Are been doing, any? what's that? Are there any? I've been doing all zoom, uh, oh, these okay. days. Yeah. Like, is that helpful? I, I've, I didn't, I did one zoom show and I was like, I think I'm less funny. Right. Um, I think there's a, there's a, I wouldn't call it a learning curve, but maybe an, an adjustment curve. Cause I think I'm now at a point where I've subconsciously kind of learned the lags of, of zoom or the, 
uh, the nuances of like, I don't know, like the audio texture of, of laughter coming through and um, cause it's, it's different. I think the, the, the stage presence and like a, on a physical stage is more like visceral and you're like really tuned in your mind and body with zoom. It's a little bit more it, it with zoom. It's interesting. Like your, your body or my body is relaxed. Like I'm slumped in a chair, but like my, my, my mind is like more tuned to like the staticky laughs that are coming in. Uh, but, but the biggest thing with zoom as, especially as a beginner comic, um, you know, only, only a year into it is, was the networking and, and hopping on mics in different time zones. Um, and I oh, think wow. zoom. Yeah. I didn't so, even so, think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, uh, yeah, I, I would say the, the majority of my zoom mics are like not even in the East Eastern time zone. Like, um, and, uh, like a lot of it's Pacific time. Uh, this one time I woke up at 7am to do a zoom mic that was like being run in Tokyo. Um, and that was really cool. Uh, so, uh, the, the networking and then I think zoom, I, in my experience, zoom really gets to the writing. So I, I think, so there's a, this just like a month ago when it was like marginally safer to do like live mics. Um, I zoom mic served as a nice, like intermediary to like actual shows or live shows. Um, so, uh, yeah, like I, I find it um, useful, uh, especially as a beginner and especially in terms of the networking. Uh, I've tried a couple of gimmicks and a couple of like prop bits with Zoom mics because I'm not holding like a mic in my hand. I just kind of let the computer or phone sit. And I like I, sometimes I do sketches like on the actual mics, um, which could be a good intermediary to maybe put something on YouTube later. So. Yeah, it's a it's like an interesting existence or interesting like very new landscape. Um, Stephen, do yeah. you like Zoom mics? Um, no, I did one Zoom show and I didn't like it. I was like, I think I'd rather just uh, go to pharmacy school. This cat is annoying. <laughs> Get out of here. That's <laughs> Charlie. Okay. We're in two different rooms. We're right next to each other right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and this is our first Zoom. Yeah, it's going to my Zoom comedy show. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to host a Zoom comedy show, and Stephen was going to do it, yeah. and then I canceled it. Like, thank God, yeah. The last minute, <laughs> no one was excited, but none of the comics that I like asked I think, to help me were excited right. about it. Yeah, I think, um, but there, I think there's there's a good point in the sense that I've there. Uh, how do I say this? So I've. Before, before the pandemic hit, I was like as deep into the DMV open mics as, as I could get, like 10, 11 mics per week, right? And I tried- DMV, is that? Uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Virginia. Oh, that's, okay. The DMV. Yeah. motor vehicles. <laughs> it's like doing open mic while people are late, waiting uh, for, to get okay. their licenses. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> you know, I ran into that problem when I moved to Chicago. I would tell people I'm from the DMV and people yeah, were that's... like, why do you live at- No one knows that. Okay, sorry. But <laughs> everyone in the DMV knows, knows that. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone yeah. in the DMV knows what the DMV is. Um. So yeah, you know, just hitting as many mics as possible, like, I don't know, at least two a night and, and uh, I, I, like if it was even available. Um, and I tried to replicate that, you know, that grind, if you will, um, it, on Zoom. And, and it, I think it worked in the sense of like, you know, I made a lot of connections. I got some writing polished, but I don't know that there's a, there's an end game with like taking that same work ethic and putting it on Zoom the same way that there's like, there's, you know, there are outcomes for when you do that for, for like live mics, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I think there was a, there's, there's like a point to be made and like, sh should I just like have this effort be driven towards just making maybe like original, I don't know, YouTube sketches uh, where it doesn't necessarily have to be like Zoom. Um, and, and so it's like, there's, there's rarely, there's rarely audience and, and and if when there is it's like it's it's like you know it's like a friend of a comic that like you know has to get their friend to sign into the zoom call etc and um 
But but at the same time, like I think what offsets the lack of audience is the fact that like you're hopping on a different time zone. A lot of comics haven't heard your stuff the same way, you know, local comics have. So it's it there's a lot of like for me, I, I there's a lot of like opportunity cost. Like, is this energy better spent grinding on Zoom mics the same way I would like live mics? Or is it better spent making original kind of I don't know if original is the right word, but like uh, online content that I would like polish, uh, edit, and then upload, you know, to, to like YouTube or whatever it may be. So like, I kind of face those questions and uh, kind of wonder like, what's the best way to, you know, make use of this time being in the, this like second kind of lockdown, if you will. So you're in yeah. Maryland, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Maryland's about to go back to phase one. Uh, right? I that's that's the impression I'm getting. I actually haven't looked up like that's the impression I'm getting in terms of like uh, just mics not happening and they're getting canceled left and right. And like yeah. that's the general. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. we just shut down the club that I work at just shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, how long has dating's been shut down for like three weeks now? Something like that. Two weeks. I don't know. Yeah. It's so, been a long time. We it's make been... original content now. That's what we do. Right. Who you and I? Yeah, you're an actress, and we I'm an actress. we shoot stuff. I yes. had that same dilemma of like, uh, are mics worth the time? Even before you know, lockdown. And I don't know. I'm starting to come around to the idea that it's better just make content online. Mm-hmm. But right, who I know. Right, right. No, no. I, 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 um, I agree. It's just. Yeah, it's just, I, I guess it's one of those things like I get caught in the, the day to day or the, in this case, the night to night with like the, it's sort of like a rhythm or like a workflow with the mics. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom. I think as long How as you... like, I need, oh, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, finish, Siva. Oh, I was just going to say, I think as long as someone makes any of those sort of time management decisions, it's good. There's so many comedians that just don't. They're just like, I'll do whatever sounds fun today. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's that. And it also, there, there are some mics or shows that, um, do get live streamed and, you know, they they sort of stay on YouTube or Twitch or whatever it may be. So there's some maybe like value and sort of it being out there, but, uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, like committing to a structure because I think like, what, what, like my YouTube stuff is like literally just me. I'm like super beginner. As I, I've seen uh, Zara has has shared, you know, your your like pages with me, and I've seen uh, a lot of oh, yeah, uh, this... your sketches. Yeah, They're, like awesome. I'm a big fan. Yes. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, Zara carries those. <laughs> and well, and uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, I think I I think with like mics, uh, whether it's Zoom or or live, like you're. I'm anchored to like the stimuli of like people being there. And so therefore that holds me accountable of like just showing up. Mm. Whereas if I spend a number, if I, I, if I intend to spend a number of days on a YouTube sketch or something that is really just me, then I have to like discipline myself to commit to it. Um, as opposed to giving into that impulse of, uh, of what you, uh, you know, Steven describes as like, let me do what sounds fun today. So I, I, I like have like, I have to finesse that kind of structure and mental discipline as well. Um, it sounds like accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to, I'm going to give my word to someone and I'm going to show up to them. Right. Right. But it's like, you can kind of like spin it and be like, I'm going to give my w- word to myself and I'm going to show up for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. That's what Zara would do. And then she would take a nap and not do anything. <laughs> We're being mindful. <laughs> Mindful napping, it's a thing. It's I'm so mindful that I fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm not that mindful. Um, so how do you balance this new, like with like a job that you're not, I don't know if it's safe to say that you're not very interested in. And then with comedy, which is something that you're like goal-driven about. Yeah, so that's that's actually the issue. I, I uh I, so I, I don't have a uh, full-time job right now. And I guess to fill that void, I, I volunteer part-time for a, for a mental health advocacy group, but that that's not a paid position. It just kind of opens doors to some like freelance opportunities. Uh, I've gotten a few and uh, the money is like not, it, you know, doesn't pay any bills. 
Um, and so th- I think that's the question I would need to ask myself. Uh, like I'm, I'm aggressively, semi-aggressively applying to jobs now. And uh, the interviews are going God awfully. Uh, like I, cause I'm not into it. Like, <laughs> and, and the job, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, right? it, it is. And, and, and a big reason is, is like, yeah, like the, I guess the positions I'm applying to uh, align with like the, like the pharmacy degree credential. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that is a question that I will definitely need to come to terms with um, if, and when I get, you know, tied up in a nine to five that I may not be like super duper passionate about, but you know, we'll, we'll need to uh, um, yeah. Carve out time and energy to do what I really like, which is uh, the, the mics um, at night. And um, that's been, that's been a tough thing to like talk to people about some, some folks are understanding others, not so much. Um, I get the idea that like when I think when like people see my comedy, like maybe like snippets or something that I upload to social media, I think they get the impression that like, wow, like uh, at a glance, like, um, you know, Mooded's doing pretty well with this comedy thing. Uh, but that's like on the side to whatever he's doing uh, with his day job. But the truth is, I, I don't have a, a day job. Like, the, like, like I'm putting all the majority of my eggs into this comedy basket. Um, and so that's been very humbling existentially. Uh, I think so. it's good to have a network of people who are also doing that, just so you feel more sane. Mm-hmm. I had some comedians' friends who are trying to get into comedy, and all their friends are successful architects. And, you know, just like very, you know, six figure jobs. And they just, I think it's, it's easier when you're surrounded by other people who are also in comedy and you sort of understand what you're trying to do. Yes, I agree. Definitely. And that's been super helpful. I think what's my, what's sometimes challenging is that my, I think my, my like mannerisms and demeanor, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but like I give off like these vibes as if I'm like, I don't know, in, in like a solid day job, but I'm totally not. Well, you dress uh, nicely and you have a better microphone than us. <laughs> so you're yeah. winning. Yeah. You're doing pretty well. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that. that's the thing. Like the, it, it, for me, this stuff never happens at the same time. Like for me, the balance never exists where I'm uh, doing these things and achieving these things at the same time. Like, like this microphone and this, golf shirt I got during my like first day job when I would um, spend all kinds of money, which I believe is a symptom of, uh, I, I do have a, like a bipolar uh, diagnosis and uh, yeah, I would blow money on stuff. And, um, but then like, you know, when I quit my first day job, then I could like kind of level out uh, and that opened doors to like me trying my first open mic. But, but then here I am uh, not having a full-time day job. So it's like the balance is just never there. I can never like do it all. Uh, and Are I feel you like looking for balance? Not really. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm not at the core, but I am superficially. But, and I know that's like, that's not, that sounds awful or that, I don't know if it, sound, it, it, it sounds- It doesn't sound awful. Right, it's just, yeah, it's like the status quo is a very powerful thing. Yeah. Uh, and I can't just like shake it off. If I do, it's like very temporary. Um, I'm really struggling with these interviews. Like it's, it's like, it just like it, it, the, I don't know. It's like the LinkedIn messages like are really nice and like um, exciting. And like, there's like all these exclamation points and like, it, it's like, it goes really well. And then once we get to the interview, like on zoom, it just tanks. And uh, do you think they can see that you're bored? Do you think that's it? I don't uh, do well in interviews either, but I, th- I think they can see that I did not. Yeah, that as well as they can see that I'm like not invested in like crafting a story, like like mm. the, the in- these interviews or I guess interviews in general. They want the star method where the S stands for situation. T stands for task. I forgot what A stands for, but I think R is resolution. Um, 
don't know what any of that is. <laughs> is that an interviewing thing? Yeah, I, I guess. Know. Like, I, I, uh, I think so with interviews, they're looking for you to like, I don't know, when, when it gets to like the core of the questions of like, for, I, I, and I don't know, like I, I've been, I'm getting rejected le- left and right. So I don't know like if I'm saying the right things here, but they, they want you to tell a story and they want you to tell a story that's like pretty technical or relatively technical that translates well to the, the job um, that they're, um, that, you know, the position that they have. And, uh, but I, I find myself like not having a story to tell them because I'm just not invested enough to like, right. Come up with one. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So why are you looking for jobs that you're not interested in? Because he needs money. What are you talking about, Zara? (laughs) I'm well, you're volunteering at this as a mental health advocate. Have you thought about going into mental health? So, uh, I I actually, I, I have, but, um, I have not found, I guess, paid equivalents of this volunteer position that I have. It, it, like, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I vaguely remember, like, even Active Minds, like the national office, the latest opening that I saw, I mean, maybe I can, like, uh, check later today. Um, the latest opening that I saw was, what I think was, like, an unpaid internship or something. Yeah, um, they're always hiring interns. Right. Uh, and, you know, yeah, yeah, so there's that. Like, that, there's, I think, I'm, I'm finding this issue of, uh, so I've, I volunteered, uh, what, after I quit my first job, the thing that was coinciding with my, like, preliminary open mic grind with comedy was I was volunteering very thoroughly for um, the Andrew Yang 2020 campaign. And uh, I was very passionate about that, you know, and um, that was very like, that was something that very strongly coincided with my comedy journey. Um, but what I was, because like this time off that I was taking was, was purposed uh, like for that relief that we talked about earlier and like this broad existential relief to like figure out what I want to do and what I'm interested in. Comedy is one of those things. Mental health advocacy is, is another one of those things. Um, the Yang 2020 campaign and sort of the, some of the proposals like that was another one of those things, but all three of those pursuits were like volunteer, uh, you know, initiative. They're, 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 they're all unpaid gigs and, and they, they don't, at least from what I'm witnessing or trying to find, like they don't really manifest in this accessible nine to five pay the bills type of, unless I'm doing this wrong. Like <laughs> I'm like, no, none of the fun stuff pays the bills. Right. That, that's, I think that's, that's what I'm sort of learning. I either that or I suck at LinkedIn or just saying the right things at interviews or typing the right things on my resume or something. Something, yeah. <laughs> I think the key with interviews is you got to ask them. But people just want to talk about themselves, so you just go, you know, tell me about you. And you get real close to the mic. You go, tell me about you. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I might. That that actually takes the weight off of me. I can just. Yeah. yeah. One, one really good interview question is like, what do you enjoy about your job and what do you, what would you change? Mm. So then they'll start talking about their own position and how it influences the position that they're hiring for. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good tip. Um, I'm very lucky and I've gotten almost every job that I've interviewed for, but that's one. Wow. So two, yeah. I won in Maryland one year. And I've been offered every position, but I think it that like applies for easy jobs. I do. I have a difficult job right now. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. I like don't tell my work, but I sleep all. Yeah, day. don't you have yeah. podcasts? Hmm. You do overnight, don't you? Sit in the ICU and edit podcasts. Yeah, I sit in the emergency room and I edit. You listening, podcast. Zara's bosses. This is what she's doing. <laughs> There's no, like yesterday I had no patient. So like, what am I going to do for 12 hours straight? You know, I have to be awake. So I might as well do work for something else. But I think that's also why, you know, I think this is why the podcast will be successful is because I'm working 24 hours. (laughs) I'm getting paid to edit it. Yeah, exactly. Also, uh, I wanted to mention like, so I think this is like, 
I, so uh, the other thing with mental health is like, I guess going back to school in some capacity, like getting, I don't have any licenses. I just have the, you know, the degrees, if you will. And maybe it's like exposure to like the advocacy side. So uh, I guess I, I anticipate that if I come to a point where there's just like no hope or like, you know, I'm not getting any job offers or, or maybe I do get a job, but I can't stick it out for, I don't know, more than a couple months or, or it's just not sustainable. Then I, I have strongly thought about going back to school in some capacity, uh, maybe getting some sort of, I don't know, licensure certification. And I do anticipate that it would be in like the mental health space. Maybe um, I thought about social work. I thought about uh, counseling, uh, other forms of therapy. I, I, have, I would have to like get re-oriented uh, to like the specific, I don't know, licensures and whatnot. And, uh, you would be a great social worker. Have you, you've thought about that? I have, I've, yeah, I've thought about it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Do you can do social work without the license. You just won't get paid as much. And I don't know the rules in Maryland, but it's, it's, it would be worth looking up at nonprofits that are like mental health agencies and looking at their, um, their job openings because something might align and that you might, and then that degree will like help. Right. So if you're working for a, um, a nonprofit that serves like ACT members, which is um, assertive community treatment. So it's the highest level of care. It's right below nursing home and hospitalization. Those, those individuals will need help with like medication management. That's like a big thing in that, in that, in that field is just simple medication management. You have the background to do so. I'm just trying to find ways. Does anyone like, check if you have these certifications? Because from my experience, no one checks and you can just sort of make stuff up. Yes, they check. They check mine. They, that's what, <laughs> okay. they like are like, oh, I need your transcript to prove that you have a master's degree and then they need licensure proof. All right. I don't know. That's how HR <laughs> pays you too, is through the proof. I didn't invent line on your resume. Like a lot of people do that. So, but if they check, maybe don't. I don't know. <laughs> Now I'm like wondering if they actually check. They don't check. No one, they, no one checks. And what Just does HR do? The test. They say they check. I think it's like, it, it, I think like for, for some pharmacy jobs, you have to populate like maybe a, um, some number or alphanumeric code for licensure. Theoretically, someone could make that up. And then I think by the time, this happened with Walgreens where, uh, a pharmacy technician um, like totally applied and got into a pharmacist job, which is like super illegal in, in several ways, but like <laughs> Walgreens didn't figure it out for like another year. Cause I think, I think like the turnaround time or I don't know, like, like, or like some audit, like uh, I think there's like the bureaucracy kind of just slows things down in terms of by the time it comes up, like, one red flag leads to another, leads to another, and like, oh, this person's not even licensed, in life. <laughs> yeah. and they're just living their life, yeah, giving people medications and giving advice on medications when they mm -hmm. shouldn't be. That's. And I think, like, well, yeah, good. There, there's a lot of social worker jobs that are not licensed positions. Yeah, I, uh, I did not really know that, except for possibly so social work you can either in my understanding you can do like client facing things like clinical stuff where you're uh or maybe policy stuff and mm -hmm. yeah well could you talk about that like what um what are these uh non uh yeah, can I apply? <laughs> yeah Stephen, we've already been told that you would do better at my job than i would do at my job yeah but that's just because it's an easy job by nature that's not really speaking to my qualifications <sighs> God, it's not an easy job. So like I was, I worked for an organization here in Chicago and it had the licensed positions, but it also had unlicensed positions, but we were doing the same work. It was community mental health. That's what I recommend you look into. And I think that act, going back to active minds is really like set the foundation for me to do community mental health type of work. So basically it is, the goal is, is to keep people out of the hospitals, keep people out of the nursing homes and keep people who have mental illnesses in the community. So that means like, do I visit them once a week? 
Do I visit them three times a week? Do I visit them every day to give them their medications? Do I give them an allowance? It's all this stuff and you help manage their daily functioning. So like okay. there's jobs like that. So I would look, if I was to make a recommendation, it would be to like look up at nonprofits that are uh, mental health organizations and look at their openings um, and what they have. And it, it might be different levels, right? So I work for a CSI team, which was community support individual. So I met individuals once a week. Um, but these nonprofits really need support. And I think that if they're able to pay you a non as a non-licensure doing the same work, I mean, it benefits them. Okay. Huh. Right. Gotcha. So I've... I'll look up because I did a lot of job hunting. I didn't find a job in Maryland. That's why I moved back here. My license mm. didn't transfer over. So I was looking for license positions. Mm. And unfortunately, because of a lot of very unfortunate reasons. I just couldn't transfer it over. Um, so I moved back here and now I'm in a not licensed position with a license. Okay. So okay. they're available. They're out there. They're just, they're not advertised because these, because these, they're not funded. Like they just don't have the support systems as like, as like bigger jobs might. Gotcha. Yeah. But community mental health, that's mm -hmm. the key. Okay. Those are the key words. I've written that down and um, perfect. I've written down CSI and ACT. That's yeah. those are different acronyms for other that's crime scene investigation. And that's a standardized test. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, they might be called different in, in Maryland oh. um, in the DMV area. I think act is, I think act is, across the board but i think csi is different in every oh. place but you, you know what they references. mean you oh, should list me as a reference i would love to give you a reference i don't i just know you from this podcast now and all of your comedy <laughs> i'm like he's a really yeah. funny comedian you should hire him yeah maybe don't list her but you can list me yeah yeah no i i will i'll lie for you <laughs> that would be yeah this would be super helpful um references i yeah. But I, you know, it's, it's, my mom always says that like your job has to be, you have to love your job because you spend so much time there. And it's like, if you don't love it, you're just miserable 40 hours of the week. And that's your not mom do? your life. My mom is a personal banker. Sounds thrilling. Does yeah, she, enjoy she loves that? it. Oh, okay. She does enjoy it. She is not a man. She has like management level skills, but doesn't manage anyone and loves that. Hmm. She just okay. like easy breezy. She opens the bank. She, she does her work. She types on her computer and then comes home and she loves it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we should get her on the podcast. I want to hear her talk about this. Because this sounds I want her talk. on the podcast. Okay. She will do the podcast, but she does. My dad doesn't want to do it over Zoom because he's like nervous about like technology. He said, "Okay." He said, "I'm not good at technology." Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're gonna wrap up, but I just wanted to ask you a few more questions. So, what are some things that you do to take care of yourself, and like, how do you do self care? Yeah, definitely. I I think that routine, daily routine. Uh, is a big part of my self-care, big part of my attending to my mental health and maintaining uh, the, the best quality. So I would say make, making my bed and then, and then before like that, uh, ensuring that my, so, so sleep, sleep is a big part of my kind of self-care. Um, I'm very particular about, I guess, the sheets I have um, I'm very particular about there being no light, uh, you know, it, um, in, in the room, uh, making the bed is a big part of it. Uh, I'm still working on getting to bed, like at a reasonable time. Uh, I, I've been awful with that, but in terms of, I guess, going to bed and staying asleep for a solid eight hours, like that's a big part of it. I exercise almost daily, which is a big sort of, um, uh, positive thing in my routine. And for now, those are the main things I'm sort of preemptively worried or uh, anticipating that, uh, you know, when I 
when I do get tied up in a full-time job, how do I maintain those things? Particularly with sleep onset. I, I'm like a night owl. So um, anyways, but yeah, sleep and fitness on the daily, uh, avoiding s- in order to ensure that I sleep at a reasonable time, I avoid caffeine intake uh, after maybe like 9 p.m. or something, just like personally. After 9 p.m.? I can't drink coffee after like four. Or I'll be up all night. Got yeah, you know that's the, the and that's uh you know that's sort of my next. I've got to get there. Uh, so oh yeah, you're gonna bring it back. You're bringing yeah. the clock yeah. back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'll go full circle. Keep pushing it. <laughs> yeah, push push it the other way. Yeah. Um, Steven drinks like an unreasonable amount of coffee. I'm doing fine. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, I, so I, you know, with this pandemic, I see a therapist, uh, every other Monday. Um, so that's, that's been a huge part of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, I think that was like answered more than like the self-care, but I just like put it all so out there. If I may ask you, you brought this up, your diagnoses, your diagnosis. And did you find relief when you were diagnosed with something and you like, did it help? in terms of like making sense of like what you might've gone through when you were in college and those like high goals that you set for yourself and like being solely focused on exams, like, did it make sense for you? Um, so unfortunately it, it was actually a bit of a, it was unfortunately kind of the opposite where Mm. I, uh, what happened was in the summer of 2016, the counseling center, at um, where I went to pharmacy school, the campus counseling center, they diagnosed me with an anxiety, a generalized anxiety disorder, and then prescribed me a sertraline, which is Zoloft. But then I started developing mania um, because of the, the Zoloft, which at the time, and so that, that sort of warrants a bipolar diagnosis. And it was very severe, you know, like several week um, long mania, manic episode. I went to a Shepherd Pratt and spent a night there. And, uh, and then, so, you know, uh, that, that sort of warrants a, a bipolar diagnosis, but at the time, both me and, and I guess my parents, we, we conceptualized it initially like that mania just as a result of the medication, but we weren't really understanding why am I being diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder? Cause as far as we knew, I've never developed mania outside of the context of like taking this medication. It turns out that uh, just recently, like when the lockdown first occurred, um, everything fell apart, Uh, you know, as a comedian, as everything just fell apart, Uh, you know, structure, the gym was closed, you know, all you could do is go to the grocery store and stuff like that. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I guess I had a phase before I was able to secure a, a therapist and like the appointment during this, this, this sort of pandemic that we're in. I had a phase where it turns out organically without medication or without like a medication induced issue, I was having like agitation and, and uh, honestly like, like manic symptoms um, for certain periods of time during this pandemic before, and this is like super recent, right? Before then I was still kind of confused. And I had like, in the back of my head, I was like, why do I have this bipolar diagnosis? Is this wrong? You know, um, how many more psychiatrists do I need to like talk to? And most of them are kind of saying like, if you've developed mania, regardless of what prompted it, or like that, that is a bipolar diagnosis. So, um, it was a bit of a rabbit hole, but part, like I have, I think, yeah. you know, I, I trust professionals. I do. Uh, but, but it's like, it was, yeah, it was, it was a rough process. It was, it was a bit of a journey, if you will, kind of understanding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned like this, you mentioned like the money spending like a while back mm-hmm. as being a symptom. I think that people forget how simple symptoms can come about like hypersexuality, money spending, gambling, mm-hmm. um, the irritability that people experience. Um, people really forget about that in terms of symptom management. But also you said, which I want to highlight is that like once the pandemic came and all of your like structure fell through, those symptoms really arose and they beca- be- they ke- became a little bit more bold. I'm 
as they might not have been worse, but they just were highlighted again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important for people to realize that when they're going through like finding help, that it's a journey. It's not just like, okay, I'm now, I have this diagnosis and now I'm healed and now I know what to do and what coping skills work for me because they still might not work. Right. You know, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited that you are starting comedy and you're in this like, not brand new, but you're pretty new. And I'm like excited for when things open up, you can come to Chicago and check out the comedy scene here because it's, it's pretty amazing if I do save so myself. It's okay. <laughs> Stephen was born and raised in Chicago. Well, not in Chicago, but he was born and raised in, in the, in the, in city. Illinois. The city, yeah. Gotcha. But Stephen, fun fact, also grew up around comedy. So He's had a very interesting experience, I think. (laughs) Cool. Anyways, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I'm really excited to see where you go in comedy. And I'm excited for you to find a job that you love because that's, you know, that's going to be in your future, I hope. Yes, thank you. Thank you both so much. Thank you, Zara. Thank you, Steven. Uh, Big fans. Uh, I'm a big fan of both of you. Um, And uh, yes, thank you.